Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You know that the Christmas shoe boxes over here, and, and um, I don't know, we were coming in last night uh, from a, a trip to Little Rock, and there are folks that had Christmas lights outside their house already, you know? the snowmen and the lights on the bushes and all that. It's 43 days until Christmas from today. Well, I mean, I think, no, that's like a panic, okay? I mean, it's 43 days until Christmas. There's a lot to do. I mean, you know, I remember back uh, in the days before I was married, it's like that didn't bother me. You know, it's like I could do my Christmas shopping before 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. That's when Walmart closed. You know, what's wrapping paper? Hand it to them in the Walmart bag, you know? And that's exactly my family. If I would have done anything else, they would have probably fallen out because that's just the way I operated. But, you know, Walmart, they've got the Christmas decorations out. You've seen those? Yeah, you've been seeing those for a couple of months. Uh, I understand somebody told me Hobby Lobby had theirs out in July. And so uh, we put our Christmas decorations out earlier and earlier. But if you go peruse through the aisles, well, let me tell you this first. This is funny. We were going to Walmart the other day, and, you know, they've, now they've got those candy cane things over the, the things that make sure you don't ram through the doors. And uh, Truett said, what's that? I said, it's candy cane. It's part of their Christmas decorations. And he looked. He said, oh, they got a sign that says Christmas. I said, yeah. He said, where'd that Thanksgiving sign? <laughs> I said, they don't have one. So, but if you go look through the Christmas decorations, and <clears throat> you'll see some recurring themes, joy. We ought to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that says joy. You ought to have joy during the holiday season. Uh, some of it says, of course, you got Noel, of course, the, uh, Jesus. We have the first Noel. Then you see a lot of peace. You see the word peace on a lot of things. Of course, peace on earth. That's certainly a common theme as we move into Christmas. And you say, wait, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Are you really going to preach a Christmas sermon? No. We're going to get around to Thanksgiving towards the end of this message this morning. But maybe... Maybe it's ironic, but during this probably what's one of the most busy times of the year for most people, the holiday season, one of those recurring themes we see is peace. Peace. Really, during one of the most hectic times of the year, peace. There's a lot of stress that goes on this time of the year. I want to give a plug for Tim's class real quick, Tim's Sunday school class. If you're not on his email list, uh, if if you don't, usually come to Sunday school, uh, maybe stress is something that you deal with a lot, and, and coming up in the next few weeks, he's going to start teaching a series of lessons uh, concerning how to handle stress, uh, and especially during this busy time of the year. So if that's something you're interested in, start coming to Sunday school, or keep coming to Sunday school, and uh, Tim's going to be teaching on that in the next few weeks. But peace is something that's lacking in our world. And it's manifested in stress and a lot of other things. And it doesn't matter if you're watching the national news or reading the local newspaper. There's a lack of peace all around us. But, you know, for a lot of us, we don't have to even look that far as to the newspaper. A lot of us, we know folks even within our own circle of friends or within our own family that really lack peace in their lives. And maybe for some of us, we'd even admit that sometimes that's us where we find a lack of peace surrounding our circumstances. So how do we find peace in the world today? Well, we're going to find Thanksgiving at the end of this 
passage of Scripture today. It's about, we're going to find a little bit about gratitude. But you know, in Colossians chapter 3, I really think that God, through the Apostle Paul, has written us a prescription, a prescription for peace. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. You'll read with me there. He writes, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together this morning. Gracious God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning to study your word. I pray that as we look into to your word this morning and we look through this passage of scripture that you would speak to our hearts. Father, convict us of areas in our lives where we need to make a change and teach us and show us through your word what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I referred to this text as being like a uh, prescription for peace. But this isn't like you go to the doctor and you sit down and uh, he says, let's just take a, maybe this is a touchy subject, I don't know, but we spend more money on this than anything else in health, weight loss, right? Let's say we go to the doctor and say, doc, I'd like to lose a few pounds. This isn't like he writes you a prescription and says, here, take this, you'll drop 50 pounds. No, this is like you go sit down with the doctor and say, doc, I'd like to lose a few pounds. This prescription for peace is like the doctor saying, okay, I'll give you a prescription to lose weight. It's called diet and exercise. My doctor told me that, and I looked at him just like y'all just looked at me. Nobody likes those two words, diet and exercise. Somebody told me one time that diet, you know, diet's a four-letter word. and said they treat it like that in their house, you know. I mean, it's, it's not something we want to hear, but that's the way this prescription for peace works. You see, as we apply, as we walk through this, and I show you how this is the method to find peace, you'll see that there's no instant results. You'll see that there's no quick fix. You'll see that, that those quick fixes 
that seem to bring peace are really just false results. And as soon as you stop doing whatever you did to get the instant results, you know what? The peace goes away just like the weight will come back. Maybe I'm speaking from personal experience. But what what we're talking about this morning, we're trying to find true and lasting peace that comes only when we follow the strict instructions of our great physician. So what does he prescribe? Well, first of all, you know, the first component to this, we're going to say it's the diet. What is the diet that leads to peace? In verses 5 through 9, we find that before we can achieve peace in our life, we've got to get rid of the bad stuff. It's kind of like if you're trying to lose weight, you don't leave the Oreos in the cabinet, right? You've got to get rid of the bad stuff before you can find the results you're looking for. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you say, okay, That sounds good, but what does that mean? Well, then he gives us very strict instructions in verse 8. He says, put put off these. Get rid of these things. Clean these things out of the cabinet of your life. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of the mouth. Do not lie to one another. He says, you've got to get rid of the bad stuff. The first step towards real peace is to get rid of the things that steal our peace. All of those things he lists there in, in verses uh, 5 through 9, those things steal our peace because those things put separation between us and God, and when there is separation between us and God, we can have no peace. Why does it require us to get rid of these things? Because that's not the way children of God act. That's the way lost people act. And we see that over and over through Scripture, like in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, And you, saved people, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. It says those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, they seek to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then over in Titus chapter 3, it gives us another example of how lost people act. In verse 3, he writes, For we ourselves were also once foolish. You get that? Back when we were not saved, back before we knew Jesus, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You see, that's the way lost people act. A child of God has no business having any of these behaviors in their lives. If we're ever going to find true and lasting peace, we've got to stop acting like lost people. We got to, we've got to get the bad things out of our lives. It's been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. 
If you're always seeking peace, and peace seems to never come, maybe you find it temporarily, but then the peace goes away, and, and just, there's no peace in your life whatsoever, and you've tried and tried and tried, maybe it's time to try something different. Maybe it's time for a little self-examination to say, you know, is there something in my life that could be placing a barrier between myself and God? We're talking to saved people right now. Is there something in my life that could be placing a barrier between me and God that allows me to have this uneasiness, this lack of peace constantly in my life? That's what Paul says in verses 5 through 9. If you want to find lasting peace, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get rid of the bad stuff. But continuing our analogy, you know that diet is not the entire piece of the picture. Back about seven or eight years ago, I lost a lot of weight, and I've gained it all in some back, okay? Back then, I had a personal trainer because I could afford one because I wasn't married and didn't have a child, okay? Well, she's sitting there. i got to stop, okay? And so she's not in children's church this week, I, you know. But I had a personal trainer, and, and I would I went up at Physiques, and I would meet with her, and and I was losing weight, and I plateaued. You ever been losing weight, and you plateaued? And it just, oh, you just, you're working so hard. And I went up there, and she said, well, Jeremy, tell me what you're doing. I said, I am in this gym seven days a week. I'm working hard. I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. My, you know, I'm not losing uh, inches or anything. I've just completely plateaued. She said, well, it sounds like your, your exercise is going good. Let's talk about your diet. I said, let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about anything else, you know. She said, she said well, when you, this, I'm just giving you exactly what she said. Well, if you're trying to get, she said, that's a pack of Skittles right there. Back off. You know, you're getting personal. I'm not paying you. Well, I was paying her for that. But it comes down to, she was telling me, hey, I had the exercise part down. Now I had to get the diet under control. Sometimes we get the diet under control, but we don't do the exercise. That's a lot more than four letters. We're not going to stop and count them. You might in your head since I said that. But that's another dirty word to a lot of people, exercise. Because just getting rid of the bad stuff isn't good enough. See, if you just get rid of the bad stuff and you don't replace it with anything, guess what happens? You've left room for the bad stuff to come right back into the same goes with our lives. When we're seeking true and lasting peace, we've got to do the good stuff. What is that good stuff? Well, Paul uses an analogy that I think we can all understand, taking off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. So look with me here. What, what do we put on? It's there in, in verse 12. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another brother, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. You see, it's not enough to get rid of the bad stuff out of our lives when seeking peace. We've got to replace it with the good stuff. You see, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And as new creations, it's important for us to remember the qualities outlined in verses 12 and 13 don't fit immediately. You say, well, how am I going to put them on if they don't fit? I mean, you ever wear clothes that are a little too big? People say, your clothes don't fit. It's noticeable. People, people recognize that thing. It's a process. We, let's use a big church word. Can I use a big church word this morning? It's a process called sanctification. You've heard the term. Sanctification is when we grow into these new qualities. Because when we first become saved, you know, a lot of people, they picture and say, well, you're saved. Shouldn't you be all holy and everything? Shouldn't you know how to act? Well, you know, not necessarily. You've got to grow into these new qualities. How do you grow into them? What did you see there at the end of verse 13? It said, do it. Just as Christ did it, so also you must do. How do you grow into these things? You practice them. As we practice kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness, they become easier and more natural for us to do. You know, it's just like riding a bike. You first start riding a bike, it's not very easy, is it? You start teaching your child how to ride a bike, what do they do? They fall down a time or two. Maybe they need training wheels. You know, as new Christians, you know what, you know what a new Christian needs? A young Christian, and I'm not talking about um, it's your age. I'm talking about how long you've been saved, your spiritual maturity level. You know what a young or a new Christian needs? Training wheels. Somebody walking along beside them, showing them how they ought to live, not in a judgmental way, but in a teaching way. And do you know what we call that? Here's another one of those church words, discipleship. That's what every Christian needs is somebody more mature than them walking along beside them, showing them how to live out these qualities better, showing them how to practice kindness better, demonstrating to them the quality of humility, of of meekness, of patience, encouraging them and teaching them to forgive. Because these things are not things that human beings do naturally. They're just not. So what do we do until we grow into these qualities? Well, we got somebody walking along beside us. We ought to. But you know what? God gave us one more quality. What do you do when your pants are a little too big? You wear a belt, right? God gave us a spiritual belt knowing that we'd have to grow into these qualities as we learned to use them. And in verse 14, he says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God Rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body. Wear a belt. Put on love. Love is the most important quality in the entire list. Because for the believer, it's the glue that helps hold all the other things together. If you struggle with patience, just practice love. 
patience will become easier. If you struggle with kindness, just practice love, and the kindness will become easier. If you struggle with forgiveness, just practice love, and the forgiveness will come naturally. When you're focused on demonstrating love, all the other qualities begin to become natural. I believe that's one of the reasons that Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, with everything you've got. And the second most important was to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, the greatest commandment. So until we grow into these other qualities, we've got to love. Because you know what? Love always fits. You'll never find a circumstance in life where love does not fit. We've taken care of the diet, say thankfully. We've talked about the diet. We've gotten rid of the bad stuff. We've replaced it with the good stuff, the exercise the exercising these new qualities and allowing love to hold those things together until we grow completely into those new qualities. But, you know, those things give us what we've been searching for. We find that in verse 15, the peace of God. Allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God is only available to those who have made peace with God by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. But see, Paul says here, it's not enough just to have the peace of God. You've got to let it rule in your life. You say, well, that's, that, see, that's where a lot of people, they draw the line. That I'll have your church stuff. I'll sing your songs. I'll be nice to people, but I don't want anybody telling me what to do. This word rule here does not carry rule as in a dictator or rule as in a king. This word rule here carries the thought of a referee, carries the thought of an umpire. This word rule means let the peace of God, let these qualities set the boundary markers in your life. And you know what happens when you've got boundaries? It's an amazing thing. When, you, when, when somebody sets boundaries, you're free. You say, well, that doesn't make a lick of sense. But see, if you don't know where the boundary is, you're constantly worrying. Oh, no. Am I going to do something I shouldn't do? Oh, no. Is this going to happen or is that going to happen? When the boundaries are clearly defined, you can run and you can live your life freely within knowing where those boundaries are. It's one of the most freeing things. It's kind of like kids. They won't admit it. I would never admit it when I was a child. And I don't think psychologically, well, something's wrong with them if they enjoy discipline. I mean, I think that's a psychological disorder, someone who enjoys discipline. But kids really do appreciate discipline, whether they realize it or not. And if you watch children who are well-disciplined, they tend to have a deep love for the person who properly disciplines them. Because they know with that person, 
they know where the boundaries are. And they can operate freely within those boundaries without having to worry, am I going to do something to upset that person? Boundaries are a wonderful thing to have in our life. When we allow ourselves to be ruled by the peace of God, it shows us the out-of-bounds markers, and it tells us when we've broken the rules. How does it tell us we've broken the rules? Because we lose our peace. See, when we're allowing the peace of God to rule our lives and we cross that boundary, we have that uneasy feeling, that lack of peace. It's like the Holy Spirit throwing a flag. It's like the Holy Spirit blowing his whistle. So allowing the peace of God to rule within your life is really, really freeing. Oh, but there's one more thing. We don't want to forget it. I stopped short of it in verse 15. Achieving peace doesn't mean you'll keep it. You know, sometimes as we go through life, we have to take a little maintenance medicine, you know? I just finished up not long ago, I finished up allergy shots. They say my allergies shouldn't bother me anymore, but I still take a Claritin every night just in case. It's my maintenance medicine. You know, there's maintenance medicine for peace. You've done the diet. You've done the exercise, you found the peace. But it's, it's not enough. You need your maintenance medicine, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Gratitude is the maintenance medicine for peace. Thankful to who? Thankful to Jesus Christ. Because do you know what gratitude does? When we constantly live in a state of gratitude to Jesus for what he's done for us. He died on a cross so that you and I wouldn't have to one day spend eternity in hell so that he could open a way that we could get to heaven. Because there's no other way except through Jesus Christ to get to heaven. And when we live in a life, we live a life where we're in a constant state of gratitude towards Jesus Christ. You know what it's hard to do? It's hard to not be kind to somebody else. It's hard to not be kind to them because the Bible says even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what our sins did to Jesus? They killed him. But praise be to God, he rose from the grave and he lives forevermore in heaven, right? Look what our sins did to Jesus, and yet he forgave us. When we live in a constant state of gratitude towards Jesus, we understand that we need to forgive others. Because if Jesus can forgive me for what I did to him, surely I can forgive somebody else. Surely I can be kind to somebody else. Surely I can live in that state within the boundaries to find peace. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 tells us what I just told you a second ago. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We make peace with God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then as we live our lives in the way that Colossians chapter 3 has showed us to live, 
we allow the peace of God to rule in our lives, we will find that true and lasting peace. And we ought to be thankful for that. During this time of thanksgiving and all year around, we ought to live in a constant state of thanksgiving for the peace that God allows us to have in our lives. If only we'll follow his prescription. This morning, as the musicians prepare for the invitation, I want you to know that if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can never find true and lasting peace. And if that's you, and you're here this morning, here's what you need to know. In Romans chapter 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth if you, if the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior this morning, I hope you'll come and you'll allow myself or Brother Eric to show you more about what the Bible says about how you can guarantee, number one, that you spend eternity in heaven. But number two, you can guarantee that you're on that path to finding true and lasting peace no matter what life circumstances throw your way. This morning, if you're here and you're saved and you struggle with peace, you struggle because you have a lack of peace. It's my prayer that you'll spend this time where you're at or in this altar or whatever you need to do talking to God and giving up those things that may be separating you from Him and robbing you of your peace. And that you will recommit this day to living out those qualities that we talked about, to exercising kindness and forgiveness and meekness and all of those things, and that we can move forward from here and through this holiday season and beyond, really and truly having the peace of God in our lives. Would you stand as we sing?